You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning. How many of you got baptized on the way over today? Anybody? How many of you in the way? How many of you actually put your own Christmas lights up this year? All right, all over room. Many of you were at the Christmas party where we showed a little video. I just want to let you know I do not hire out to put up Christmas lights. I, I asked like 50 times, so do you hire out? I'm like, no don't hire out to do Christmas lights. If you're at the Christmas party, we did a little video with that. You'll see it up later on on social media or whatever. But uh, one of the cool things we did this last week was our whole staff went and fit shoes on little kids. So kind of our, our you know, staff Christmas party, instead of doing a party, we think it's better to give than to receive. So we went to one of the Title uh, 13 schools, one of the 13 that we've been putting shoes on the kids who are, uh, need a new pair of shoes in those schools. And it was just a joy to put shoes on these, these little elementary age kids and just see they get to keep their existing pair, but they get a brand new pair of shoes. And I want to just say thank you so much to the generosity of all of you here at Sun Grove, because we were about to hit like between 1,900 and 2,000 pair of shoes, which covers 13 schools. That was an audaciously big number. We thought, you know, I think we did seven last year. We thought, all 13, are you kidding me? And God has just opened the door through your generosity, through your giving, uh, to be able to see that be an accomplishment. And it's just a beautiful thing. And if you think about it, their pair of shoes won't last. We gave them a pair last year. <laughs> we'll be giving them a pair again next year, right? Because those of you who have kids, you know your kids just grow out of shoes like that. They either grow out before they're worn out or they just thrash them and they need new shoes, especially if you have boys. Believe me, I've had, you know, three boys and shoes are, baby always needs shoes. It's just the way it works and they just get through them. And, and we wish, we wish, don't you as a parent wish that shoes would last? Don't you wish that you could just be like, all right, as of today, you're done growing, and that's it. You're just good with shoes. From, we know what size you are from here on out. You can't grow out of them until you get full use. It would be nice, right? But that's not the way the world works. We are created for eternity. We wish things would last forever. We were created to live forever, but sin entered the world and brought with it this thing called death. And so you and I struggle throughout this life of feeling like we ought to keep going. We ought to go on. We watch people around us who struggle or suffer or someone near and dear to our heart. And we, in our heart, we're like, this should not happen. It was, they were too young or their suffering went too long or life goes too long. And you and I face that last, final, slow, sleepy struggle with dependency and death. If you've ever watched grandparents age and go to some home and struggle with issues in their thinking and in their, how they can care for themselves or not, and it just seems like it takes so long, but eventually you and I face the final struggle, which is when we die, and we, in our heart, to say this feels like a violation because we are created to live forever somewhere. The question is, where are you and I going to live? The theme is we've looked at the city of David, this little town called Bethlehem called the city of David, and then also Jerusalem, this large, amazing city that was later named in David's honor, the city of David, because that's where he set up his palace and he conquered that area as a king. But we look at where Jesus came to be born to a little town of Bethlehem, the city of David. And then we look ahead in scripture at a city that will never perish or spoil or fade, part of the new heaven, the new earth, where this city comes down, we are forever a part of it, the city of David, this new Jerusalem. And it's where we kind of realize what we long so much for in our heart. 
And the scripture that we've been looking at is in Hebrews 13. It says this in verse 14. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. We want that permanence, right? Here we're not going to experience it. But everybody you know and everybody I know is wandering around and we're trying to like build up our own little kingdom, aren't we? We're trying to increase what we have. We're trying to get newer. You look in your closet, you say, I have nothing to wear, which you're really saying, I have nothing new to wear. You have plenty to wear. If you were Steve Jobs, you just had the same thing in your whole closet and, and never had to think about it. He might be on something there, right? But what do we do? We say, oh, I wish it was, you know, last and, and things don't and styles change and all those things happen and, and we want this permanence. But nothing makes that statement truer than when you and I suffer. Or someone we love, we watch them going through suffering. Nothing makes that statement truer. We want things to be better. We want things to last. We don't want to deal with sickness or tears or death or dying or, or sorrow or crying or any of those things anymore. We want, we want joy. We want peace. We want love. All the fruit of the Spirit we want in our lives. It's those times, though, that we begin to experience it face to face. Those times when you're like, God, what in the world are you doing here? Well, it doesn't seem like your plan is going anywhere. It doesn't seem like there's any motion. How could this awful bad thing be part of your plan? And it's in those moments in suffering that that statement becomes so true. We say, God, where's your plan? And how is your coming to earth part of answering our need right here, right now? God, where are you in this? This week is sensitive for my family. It, it just, we're reminded of this week every year. Because four years ago, an adult relative in our family went down in the basement and took his own life. Having struggled with a number of different things, just went down and said, that's it. And so as family, we who are left behind and the family there in Colorado who's left behind, we have that ongoing memory every year that things are different, that this plan does not look any longer like it looked before that decision was made. And so it's sensitive to us at this time of year. You might have something along those lines. Last Sunday night after preaching, I went up to a hospital up near Roseville and uh, sat with a family. It's a 28-year-old dad of several kids, he, a former NFL player, who uh, now was working construction, but about three years ago started struggling with brain cancer, had gone through uh, a surgery and then radiation and multiple surgeries, now was fighting for his life in the hospital, and, and they've actually put him in a coma and lowered his body temperature, and I'm, I'm sitting there just with him and holding his arm and just praying with him, with the family there on Sunday night after church, and uh, and just the family's just reaching, going, how could this happen? They're reaching for anything. They have no hope. And they're like, we need hope. Well, we, could you pray for us? Could you, like, like as if we bring something special, which the truth is only God's Holy Spirit is what's special. That We just come there to be with them, right, in the middle of their suffering. But we bring and we appeal to the Lord. But the ultimate healing is not in this body because even if God heals, we eventually die, don't we? And this week, middle of the week, that 28-year-old dad died. And you begin to say, there's something about this life and the injustices of this life that make you and I long for a permanent home, long for eternity, long for something better. And we begin to, to have these experiences that make us turn either toward God to seek him, but sometimes those hard experiences make us stiff arm God a little bit, don't they? 
and kind of say, God, I, I don't know, where were you when this happened? This didn't seem right. You didn't fix it how I wanted. My picture doesn't look like what I want this picture to look like. And we begin to stiff arm God a little bit. And nothing makes that statement truer than suffering. And in this life, we'll experience that. Our family went on a hike uh, not long ago, and I took this picture of a sign. I'm going to put it up on the screen behind you. And the sign says, danger, steep cliff, fatal drop. Now, I'm just going to let you know, that is not your average warning sign. I'm just saying. Um, and, and I look at a sign like that, and I'm going, some marketing firm didn't just make that up. There's like case history here, right? They're saying, listen, believe us. If you continue farther and fall off this cliff, it's fatal. We know it to be true. It's been a case study. We've, it's been tested. Somebody did it, and it didn't go well for them, so please don't continue to go forward. It's like when you go to Yosemite, and there's that sign that says, if you go beyond this point, you will die. And you think back and think, I, I used to go beyond that point, you know, back. And, and the truth is, there's this danger. There's this steep cliff. It's, it's got a, a fatal drop. And, and the truth is, this is what happened when sin entered the world. That God created us to live in perfect relationship with him for eternity. And it was perfect in paradise in the garden. But along the way came sin. And when sin came with it as a consequence, it brought death as a nature of a sin world. So we were born into the consequence of a decision made long ago when sin entered the world. And we can't get out of it. So for you, that sign might read danger, you know, big cliff, uh, you know, fatal drop. Eventually, it might not be all at once. For you, you might be like my grandparents who this last year went home to be with Jesus, but for them it was a slowly sloping hill. And as they were going down that, I think to each other, they were like, as you wish, right? <laughs> but it seemed to take forever. And then on the other hand, it, for some of us, it just it's 28 years old and it's just too soon. And you're going, now here's a, here's a widow with two little kids and... And just what is the future going to look like? It doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like. And so we have to say, well, some people just say they try to make sense of it and say, well, maybe they're in a better place. So they try to make sense of it. But the truth is, let's just be honest, that's life. But God came to redeem us, to buy us out of the consequence of that for something better. Because you can say, well, that's just life. It's just the way it is. But the truth is, God said, I can do better. I've got a plan that's been in effect for a long time. In fact, even at the time when sin entered the world, I have a plan to redeem, to purchase you back, even though you'll experience the consequence of death. And so if you're outlined, take it out with me, and we're going to fill in some blanks here today, and we're going to do some things. You can write some notes to just how God's Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart as he's giving his message to you today. But we have to realize, first of all, that God has a plan, and his plan is called the Incarnation. The incarnation. You say, what in the world is an incarnation? An incarnation is God become flesh. It's when God left the glory, the, the amazing thing of heaven, and he said, I'm going to step out of heaven, and I'm going to inconveniently come down to the world, and I'm going to step into creation. The creator stepping into his creation. The one who would say that paradise was lost in the garden is now going to say, I'm going to go try to redeem paradise even though you and I will still face the consequence of death, but that will not be the end game. I'm going to do something to bring you back to life, to give you a life eternal, a city that will never perish, spoil, or fade. The incarnation, God became flesh. He entered our world. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul writes this, 
But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And what he's saying here, and there's a kind of a key phrase I want you to catch here is, when the set time had fully come. In other words, in all the time of all the generations, of all the ages of history, God's plan had a moment. It was the right time in history that he stepped into the creation, stepping into the creation. It was the right, perfect time in history. It was a set time, which means it had been set before that time arrived, hadn't it? It was part of God's plan. And at the right moment, he steps into it. Not only that, but he steps into the perfect placement. And that perfect placement is Bethlehem. That of all the places God could come down and arrive on earth, you would think it would be Carthage, or you would think it would be Rome, or it would be Constantinople. But God came down, and he decided not even to come to Jerusalem, but come to the city of David, this little town of Bethlehem, at exactly the right time in history, the perfect placement of Bethlehem, a humble, small place. Some of you, as we looked at last week, you wonder, well, God, why do you have me living here right now? Or why do you have me in this life situation right now? And we look back as Paul was saying in Acts chapter 17, he said, from one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so that they would seek him. Perhaps they would reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. So speaking of God, that listen, God marked out the times and places where you will live. He knows the map of your life. He knows the roadmap of your circumstances. And he has reached into your moment right now, right where you are, wanting to say that even in these circumstances, that perhaps you will begin to seek him. And when you seek him, you will find him. And you will reach out for him, and he's not far from you. Some of you think God's far away but he's not. He is very, very close, but he, as a gentleman, waits for you and I to seek him, to begin to reach to him. The previous verse in Galatians 4 is a beautiful picture that Jesus was born under the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law brought with it the awareness of what sin is. It was a lot of regulations. It was a lot of to-dos and don'ts. It was a lot of you got dirty and you had to do stuff to make yourself clean. You got dirty again, you had to make, do stuff to make yourself get clean religiously in the law. And the law brought with it condemnation. Well, Christ was born under that system, but he was born under the law, listen, so that we might receive adoption to sonship so he could fulfill the requirement of Old Testament law and bring with it now grace given to you and me to say, I have paid for it. I've done all the performing. All the righteousness is bound up in me and I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to buy you back from that. That's good news. That's a beautiful thing. So it's not just that God came to earth because you might think, well, if God came to earth, he should come with a big splash. He should come down to earth as like a full-fledged adult he should come to earth and come to the greatest cities of the world and proclaim, I am God. And some people might say, no, you're not. And then they get lightning struck or something. I don't know what happened, right? And then they're just like, that's, that's the way. I just proclaim myself, you know, as God. And, and you go, wow, you, well, I guess that guy really is. But that's not how God did it. And I think even in his big picture plan, he had a reason. If you're taking notes, we not only realize that God's plan was the incarnation, but we realize that God brought a gift. And God's gift was humanity. That God entered 
humanity. He came to a father and to a mother. He came through a mother as God allowed a virgin birth through Mary. But he also gave, as a young boy, he gave Jesus that father, that Joseph. He came to a father and mother. He was a newborn baby. He was God in human form. Luke chapter 2 says this in verse 5. Speaking of Joseph, he went there to register with Mary, who is pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think that God came in the form of a baby? When God said, I'm going to become flesh, God leaving heaven, I'm going to become flesh. I mean, years are at stake here, aren't they? But he came in the form of a baby. Why would God come dependent? Why would God come in humility? Why would God come as a little baby? Did you ever consider that? When we look at the Old Testament account of the creation of the world, we see Adam. Adam did not show up as a baby. We see Eve. She did not show up as a baby. God has within his capacity and power to do what he wants to do. He could have come as an adult, but why wouldn't he? Weren't there people at stake or years at stake? Wouldn't that be waste? Why would he come as a baby? Have you ever asked yourself that? Luke chapter 2 verse 7 says this, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And then flip forward with me to verse 12. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the question is, if he were God, he could come down and say, I'm going to come to the greatest cities of the world. I'm going to come down. Did, I, did he come to a king's palace? No. He came to a side room because there was no guest room available for them. Did he come to a, a gold-laden, gold-covered crib with a beautiful mattress and attendants standing all around? No. He came and was placed in a feeding trough. Did he come in king's clothes, just a beautiful, you know, little robes for little kids or whatever? Um, no, he had cloths. He just had what was available. They wrapped the kid in what was available. He didn't even get a onesie. No little booties. I mean, nothing, right? He just had cloths. But he came to humanity, listen, in humility. The God of the universe was not hard to find. He was close. He was approachable. Why would God come as a dependent baby, as a little child? So that humanity could relate to him through humility and he could be approachable. God with us. The beautiful thing is not only was he approachable, but it means his answer to our sin problem is approachable. It's approachable for all people, whether you were shepherds in the field or you were the mucky mucks up in some temple, you were approachable. The answer was available to you. So what is our response? When we see that God came and, and the incarnation was his answer to our problem, that was his plan, and he came in humanity and in humility, our response then is to seek, to seek after God, to look for him. I, I want you just to get a picture for just a minute. Christmas is coming, and there are certain things in your life that help prepare. I don't know how to say it other than this. I try to prepare the soil of my heart, my inner man. And things like the Christmas party help. 
And things like reading this Christmas story in the scriptures help. I, I need it this time of year. My, my heart can be all about myself. It can, be, it can be hardened. It can be distracted. It can be busy, right? But I need, to, I need to take the initiative. I need to take the leadership to begin to prepare the soil of my heart to celebrate with joy the Christ, the incarnation, God's plan at Christmas. I've got to do that in my life. I've got to prepare. And maybe, I don't know what it is for you, but maybe for you, you've got to say, am I willing to prepare the soil of my heart to receive Christ this Christmas, to worship Christ this Christmas? And you say, well, how do I do that? And it can be different for every person. We all have different learning styles. We all have different interests. But God's going to do it. When you begin to seek God, seeking him through, for some of you, it's music. For some of you, it's art. For some of you, it's experiences and relationships. And, and for some of you, obviously, reading God's word and just seeing what his plan was and just drawing near to God, you're preparing the soil of your heart. It's a dry Christmas when it just shows up Christmas morning and you're grossly unprepared on the inside. Then it becomes about the event or gifts or who's there or who's not or how good life has been or hasn't been. And it's very dry. It's an event. You get through it. You look to the next event. But we, our response is to seek. We understand the plan of God. We understand that he's approachable and that he came in humility. But there are three types of seekers that I want to point out today. And there probably are many, but today I'd like to point out three different types of seekers. And you may be one of these three types. The first one are those who seek to destroy Jesus Christ. You seek to destroy Jesus Christ potentially. In the Old Testament, there was a king named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was a king who was all about self. And this is what the scriptures say about him in 2 Chronicles 12, verse 14. It says, he did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. In other words, because he chose, I'm not going to prepare the soil of my heart. I'm not going to consider what God has to say because I want to say my own say and, and, and reserve the right to always be right in my own thinking. He decided I'm not going to seek God. The byproduct of not seeking God was that he did evil. That was the nature of it because he completely served himself. He did not, though he was in a position of leadership in the nation among the children of God, he did not serve the Lord or seek him. He had determined in his heart not to seek the Lord. In the New Testament, that would be King Herod, a Jewish king who, as we looked last week, was a deposed Jewish king. But you'll realize that Herod, again, his kingdom was himself and any threat to that kingdom he readily attacked. Did he seek out Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But he sought to destroy him to the extent that he would kill all the male-born children in a radius around Bethlehem who were two years old or younger. That's how adamantly he would seek to destroy Jesus Christ. But you look at our culture and you look at the, the culture of the world and the world is always in opposition to Jesus Christ. And they seek to destroy it. So you have to say, well, what do people want? Well, if it was you, what do you want? What do these people want? The answer is authority and control. They want my way to, to be right. It's got to be our say. And so they're basically going to just say, we want the authority in our culture. You watch people try to kick God out of every part of society, particularly the name of Jesus Christ. It's so offensive to so many because they are ones who are seeking God, but they're seeking to destroy God, they want authority, they want control. Well, what do they do? They attack. They feel threatened and fearful, right? So they enter into deception. They'll make up lies and, and deceive things about 
truth of the Bible, what they say is true or not true about the Bible, about how God is or how God isn't. And they again attack Jesus Christ. They persecute those who follow him. They harass others. They victimize others. And we see it happening in our world. There are those who are seeking Jesus Christ, but they're seeking to destroy him. But what do these people find? They find anguish. They find a distance from God. They are distrusting of themselves or other people. They experience injustice. And in the end, they experience certain defeat. Because the day will come, the scriptures say, when all of us will kneel before the Lord. Every knee will bow. Every mouth, every mouth, even those who are seeking to destroy Jesus Christ, will say, Jesus Christ is Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And they will admit it with their own mouths and their knee will be bowed, but they will ultimately find destruction because of their rejection and their attempt to destroy Jesus Christ. It will be frustrating for them. They will gnash their teeth at him as they admit he is God. But in the end, it will be destruction for them. Paul was right on this path. He was out persecuting. He thought he was following God as a Pharisee. And he was so zealous that these new people who were believing in Jesus Christ, after Jesus' resurrection from the dead and his ascension to heaven, Saul, his name was Saul before it became Paul, and his name Saul, he was going out and throwing people in prison, killing Christians, and persecuting them. And he was on his way north from Jerusalem to Damascus, and he was out to get some more people and throw them in prison and persecute and beat them up and get them to turn away, if they would, from Jesus. And he said, kind of turn back to God. And while he's on that road, a bright light hits him, and a voice that everybody who's with him here says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's blinded by the light, and he says, who? Who are you? Who's speaking? He says, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul stumbles into a village thereafter, and God sends to him a man who was afraid to go talk to this guy, Saul. But God commanded him, you go talk to him and explain to him the scriptures. Saul became Paul and spent the rest of his life and ultimately gave his life proclaiming that God has a plan that God has a purpose for you, that God became the incarnation through the person of Jesus Christ, that he ascended back to heaven, and that we have a way out of our problem when we face death at the time after that. We have a new heaven, a new earth that is coming, and Paul went on to write most of the New Testament. Even those who seek to destroy Christ, if they're willing, can find out the truth and come to be one who worships him. So the question is, if you seek to destroy Jesus Christ, you might be, there's a lot of kind of seekers, but you might be a heat seeker. That you're seeking hard after it. You're willing to go blow something up, but in doing so, you disintegrate. And that's what happens for those who seek to destroy Jesus Christ. They do so to their own destruction. You might be a heat seeker. But not only that, there are other types of seekers. And you might find yourself in this category if you've been around the church or you, you know, believed in Jesus Christ. You might seek to use Jesus Christ. The second type of seeker is a person who tries to seek to use Jesus Christ. Paul said this as he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He's speaking of the last days and what the condition of people and the heart of people in the world will look like. He said, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Peoples will be lovers of who? Themselves. Lovers of what? Money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to who? 
Come on now. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. You read that scripture and you think, I can't go back to work then. (laughs) Because isn't this our culture? Look at the world as we turn more and more away to being brutal. We turn more and more away from a knowledge of the truth. We turn more and more away to being a lover of self instead of a lover of God for who he says he is. And we see that people even can have a form of godliness, a form of religion, but they deny the power of God's Holy Spirit. They deny relationship with God. They just want something from Jesus. They seek to use him. Well, what do they want? is on the question on your outline. First of all, they, they want relief in many situations. And maybe you're suffering. You're like, God, I, I just want relief. And so you seek God. God, where are you? I want relief from my trouble. I want relief from my finances. I want relief from my health situation. I want relief from these family circumstances. Whatever it is, you begin to seek, and you're like, I'm seeking, I'm seeking. But what happens is you, you're seeking God, and you're saying, God, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do? And you're seeking God, but you're seeking his hand. And God's saying, hey, I'm up here. And you're seeking his hand. God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do for me? And you kind of use God like a, a big credit card genie in the sky. God, what are you going to do? I just, and the only time you're turning to seek him is when you need something. And you're using Jesus. The only time you turn to him, and you ask, what will you do for me? What are you going to do for me, God? What do these people do? When you and I use Jesus, and I don't want to exempt any of us from this, right? Because we've all been there at different seasons in our lives. But when you and I seek God in a way that really just wants something from God, what do we do? We begin to create a God of our own making. You see those bracelets that were hip, you know, in the 90s or early 2000s? It was like, what would Jesus do? And a lot of people would see those bracelets and they're like, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to wear that because I just remind myself I got to act like Jesus. But what happens is, how are you going to act like Jesus if you don't know what Jesus would do? His own disciples at times would be like, Jesus, this is the most obvious thing you should do. And he would do the exact opposite. They're like, we don't even know what would Jesus do. You know, they didn't get the bracelet, you know, and they were just like, what would he do? I don't even know. Jesus would do the, the you know, at times it would just be unpredictable. And isn't it that way with God? Isn't that that way with this plan? We would think, God, you should come to the biggest city. You should come in the form of an adult. You should just come down, proclaim your God. You should just end all evil. You should forget all death. You should just get rid of it all. That's what we think. God said, my plan at the perfect moment, at the right time, is to come to humanity in humility for you. That's a beautiful thing. So we create a Jesus of our own making. Let me ask, are you creating a Jesus of your own making? Or are you believing in a God who reveals himself as he says he is in his scriptures? Or are you like looking through your Bible like, oh, that's, that's, oh I, don't, I don't really like that. Ooh, I don't want to do that. And you're going over here. Oh, I love this. This verse is all about me and what God's going to do for me. I love this verse. This is the best verse. Instead of letting God reveal him and going, God, I, 
man, I, in the Old Testament, you were so righteous, but you're also so angry against sin in the Old Testament. But thank you, God, for Jesus in the New Testament and how all that anger was poured out on him on the cross. And now we see the grace and the love and the generous gift and that you had a plan all along, even though the Old Testament seems so violent, just crazy, and the New Testament, but God, you're coming back someday. And what a beautiful thing that is. We begin to let God reveal himself as he says he is. What happens when we begin to seek God to use him? We research with blinders. I'm only looking for what God's going to do for me. And that's how you and I research in the Bible. And there are many in the world who seek to use God or a knowledge of God to be able to, to do what they want. It's called syncretism. Syncretism is a word that means you blend the two things. You take what you think. This is all the stuff in the world I want to do. And this is my faith in Jesus. And even though those two often are in conflict, I'm going to blend the two. And now I'm going to create my own religion. I'm following a Jesus of my own making, where I only believe what I want to believe, where I only obey what I want to obey, where I only do and only submit my heart where I want to submit my heart. You're creating a God of your own making. You're seeking God's hand, but not his face. So what happens, you have a form of religion, but you deny its power. You might be living defeated. You might be living under the, the, the curse of all of our sin and, and you've just formed this own religion for yourself. Well, what do they find? When you and I do that, what do we find? You would find human works. You'd find striving. You'd find human traditions. And let me tell you, you would find empty morality. A morality, but it's empty. It's devoid of relationship. You are seeking God for what he'll do for you and you're serving to use morality when only it serves you. And it's empty. And some people, many people have said, I tried Christianity and it didn't work for me. What did they do? They tried seeking a God of their own making. They did not let God, they did not come to worship the God who reveals himself as he really is. And as he really is is different than how you and I think he ought to be even for his own disciples. Will you seek God for who he really is? So you might not be a heat seeker who's out to destroy Jesus Christ, but the question is, are you a self-seeker? Are you a self-seeker? Just always looking out for number one. You're using God. You're saying, God, give me what's in your hand, but I'm not willing to, to seek you. And let me tell you, it's, there's few things like suffering that will make you seek God for what he can do because you need relief and you want rescue and it's just terribly uncomfortable. And, and let me just tell you, part of my job as a pastor is to comfort the afflicted. And the other half of my job is to afflict those who are too comfortable. It's part of my job. It's what God has called to do. It's what God does with us, isn't he? And it's so amazing to be able to see that we have to learn that through our experiences because even myself, I remember when my dad was in the hospital with pancreatic cancer and, and he's, he's in the room, I'm in the room with him and he's clicking the button that has the morphine, right? And he's in pain and he's suffering and, and he would never say it, but he's just suffering. He's, he's just rubbing his face and he's clicking that button and, and it's already given him the amount that they're going to give him. He can't get any more and he's clicking it and he's just, and I can't stand it anymore. I'm like, I got to leave. Like I can't, I can't stand and see my dad whom I love in that much pain. So I leave and I go by the, like the, the little waiting room and it's full of like family and friends and people I grew up with. And I'm like, I can't go in there. I just, you know, I got to be alone. So I went to the only place I could be alone. I went downstairs. I went to this big bathroom and I went in one of the stalls and I shut the door 
and I'm just in pain on the inside. And I sit down on the seat and I, I just cry out to God. I'm like, I, you know, I'm like, God, you just need to take my dad right now. I can't stand to see him in pain. You need to take him right now. And in the quiet of that moment, I kind of remembered who I was telling what to do. <laughs> right? But we do that in pain, don't we? Right now, God, you got to do this right now. And, and just crying out to God. And, 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 you know, and I don't know how to describe it except to say that I think God very clearly in my heart just said, Dave, the Christian life is not about you and your comfort. It's about me and my glory. I'm telling you, I'm just one of the places where you're sitting down and you're just like, okay, God, I, I stand corrected. Like he just afflicted the comfortable, right? He just went after me. And I was trying to say, God, make me more comfortable. And God just set me straight in that moment. So then my response was, okay, God, well, then use, use our discomfort and my dad's suffering for your glory, and then don't delay. And in God's perfect timing, according to his perfect plan, my dad went to be home with him 21 days later, just quick, at 56 years of age, and experienced the ultimate healing in a city that will never perish or spoil or fade, an inheritance kept in heaven for him because he acknowledged and worshiped God for who he says he is. And someday, I'll get to see my dad face to face. When we left, when, when I left, I knew I had that conversation with my dad. The next time I will see you, I had to fly back to Colorado where I was living at the time, but I'm from Southern California. So I was in Southern California and had to leave, and we had the conversation. The next time I'll see you, will be in heaven. I feel like that conversation was a gift. Not all of us are given that, right? But in the middle of our suffering, God meets us right there. And he just says, listen, I am working way out ahead of you for a plan, that desire that you feel in your heart, that thing you want in your heart. I'm on it, and I've been on it from the beginning. At the perfect time, I will come. I will bring the incarnation. I will suffer as a suffering servant in humility for you so that we can be in right relationship in a place, a city that will never perish or spoil or fade. So the question is, are you going to seek God's hand or are you going to seek his face? It's this picture of, uh, I've got like six nieces, five or six. How many do I have? I've got a ton. I, I've got three boys, but I have more nieces than I even know how many. But it's this picture of just where when they're little girls, girls are very different from boys. And when they're a little girl, like they'll sit on their daddy's lap and they'll reach up. And I just remember one time, just one of my nieces just touching daddy's face. And just, you know, her eyes are closed and she's just touching the face of her daddy. And, and she, she's not there like coming up, touching his hand, like, what do you give me for Christmas? She's there. She just wants to know her dad. She just wants to be with her father. And it's a big difference between seeking relationship by God. What are you going to do for me lately? And God, I'm going to seek you for who you are and who you reveal yourself to be. In fact, what I do is I'm not coming to get anything. I'm coming to give. And what do we do? The third type of seeker is those who seek to worship Jesus Christ. They didn't come to get, they came to give. And there's freedom. It truly is better to give than receive. Matthew chapter 2, we see an example of this. In verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. 
They didn't come and give the little toddler a high five. Hey, yo, you know, hey, could you heal my mom back at, you know, the only time I come to talk to you is that you'd heal this relative who's having a tough time. Or No, they came and they, they brought as he was in his humility and his dependence as even a toddler. They came and they said, we've come to worship you. We saw in the heavens that there is a plan in effect. We followed this star. There's been a sign that God is up to something. We followed it. We followed it right here to you. And we've come to worship you and bring you gifts. And the reason you and I give gifts at Christmas is because we're so happy that God had a plan. We're so happy that God came in the form of a human person. We're so happy that he paid as a suffering servant for our sin on the cross. And he rose to new life. He's ascended to heaven as God, and he has an inheritance for us if we will follow and seek him as he is, and we can worship him. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, what happens? What do worshipers want? On your outline, there's a couple questions there. What do they want? They want the Lord. They want God as he reveals himself, even when God seems like a mystery, even when God seems hard to understand, even when God just seems to do things that are unpredictable, even when God's plan is not fully revealed to us, but it's very clear to him. They seek him for who he is. They want to know him in return. You and I, we are fully known, but we want to know, God, I want to know you more. I don't want to assume I know you because I made a belief statement at one point in my life. I want to know you by seeking you, how you've revealed yourself through your written, timeless, perfect word. I'm going to get in this book, and I'm going to get to know you, God, for how you reveal yourself. I'm going to worship you. I want to bring a gift to you. I start off by saying yes to you, by giving you my life, but I'm going to seek you out. I'm going to look in your word, not just for what I get, but what I want to give because of who you are. What do they find? What do they do? You and I begin to seek. We look. We listen. We begin to prepare the soil of our hearts and we begin to find that God is good and we begin to have teachable minds where normally our minds are just our own opinion. Hey, I'm just going to think what I want to think. But now we say, God, begin to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you more. I want you to make my heart teachable because sometimes I'm all about me and, and the natural you know, centrifugal force of life makes life all about me. And you, right? This is what happens with us. And so what happens is we come to God and go, that's the normal centrifugal force of our world makes it all about us. But we want, I want to prepare the soil of my heart to be teachable to you. What do you and I find when we worship the Lord? We find his love. We find his grace. Let me tell you something, grace. Grace means you didn't deserve squat. And God gave you amazing favor anyway. Amen. Mercy is deserved punishment. And God said, nah, no. Or your parents said, no. You know, you deserve to get punished. And they were like, I'm not going. That's mercy. It's different than grace. Grace is one up. Grace is you deserve bad. And said, I'm going to give you me. And a way out. And that's what God did. So guess what? Maybe this Christmas, God wants you to give the gift of grace to somebody who doesn't deserve it in your life. Maybe your gift giving this year is giving what's been given to you to somebody else. And for a lot of you in this room, the biggest grace recipient needs to be yourself. That in our pride, we stand there and say, God, you've forgiven me, but I can't forgive me. Listen, in our pride, we stand there and say, you forgive me, I can't forgive me. I'm letting my sins of the present, my sins of the past, my track record, I'm letting it condemn me. And God said, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but you're standing under it saying, well, that's great and all, but I'm going to still condemn me. And God's saying, maybe this year you need a gift. 
maybe that gift is you need to understand and worship me because as you worship me, you begin to be able to give grace to yourself and that's the gift you're gonna give this year. That's part of your growth this year. You find intimacy with God, you find adoration, you and I find wonder. Wow, God, you were working all along even when it didn't seem that we could. So you might be a heat seeker, you might be a self seeker, but oh, when you and I can become a truth seeker is when we begin to worship the living God. So are you seeking God? Are you seeking how God's plans should fit your plans for your life? Worshippers seek God's face. And few things in this world will challenge that than suffering we see in the world or suffering we see in our own lives. And, and here's what happens, and please just follow along with me in this, that you and I, we wanted answers. God, give me an answer. But what we really needed was God. I, I wanted to know what or how, but what I really needed was who. God, that when I begin to seek you, I find that, you know what, I, I, I may never know the answers of why your plan involved this person leaving at that point in time. But God, I begin to trust you. I needed you more than I needed the answer because the answer wouldn't make me feel all that much better anyway, would it? We wanted relief. We wanted relief where we were, but God said, no, you don't need relief. You need a resurrection because the fatal drop is coming. And you don't not only need my resurrection, Jesus would say, but he's saying because of my resurrection, it is a foreshadowing that when you die, when you walk that slow path or that fast, unexpected path, you too will rise into a place that will never perish, spoil, or fade, reserved for you. It's good news. We wanted fairness. God, just make it fair. Why is it so good for them or not for me? Or, or why do bad things happen to me, but maybe not other people? We wanted fairness, but what we needed was a savior. God, save me from me because it's not fair what I've done to you and against you and against your law. It is not fair. God, I need a savior. And he said, I've come in the form of a baby who gave his life for you. We wanted God to heal, but the truth is we need a healed heart. We wanted a rescue, but God said, no, you needed a champion. That's what you needed. We wanted to get, to receive, but we needed in self to give. God, I've got to give myself to you, my heart to you. I've got to come to a point where I actually seek you for who you are. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Listen, you do not have to be a heat seeker, a self seeker, a job seeker, an attention seeker, a thrill seeker. What you need to be is a truth seeker that in humility and in your humanity, you begin to seek God for who he says he is. Are you going to trust him? that he's been working at the perfect time in your life and that he brought an answer to your problem that you're facing right now. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, believers in the room, those who, many, many in here who have made at some point in your life, you said, I said yes to Jesus. You raised your hand, you prayed a prayer, you made a decision to be a follower of Jesus in your heart. Maybe right now God's Holy Spirit is just drawing you back to be a worshiper because you've just drifted a little bit to being a self-seeker. And will you just walk back toward him? That your decision point, believer in the room, your decision point is to step back toward Christ. That God, this Christmas, I'm gonna become a worshiper of you. I'm gonna prepare the soil of my heart to seek your face, not your hand. But there are many in this room who I believe have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've never said yes to Jesus. And if today it finally made sense to you that he died on the cross for you, that your sins could be washed away, that you could have new life, that Jesus loves you like that, would you just pray a prayer right where you're seated? You just pray this after me. God hears you. 
and just pray this. Say, today, Jesus, I give myself to you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, and that you rose to new life, that you're God. I ask you to make me a new creation. Make me alive on the inside. Because today, Jesus, I give you me. If you prayed that prayer right now, raise up your hand. Just anywhere you're seated. Will you just raise your hand up? Will you be bold? Will you just raise your hand up right where you're at? We've got some people who'd like to give you some information about that decision that you've made right over here on the end, anywhere else. Just hold your hand up. I've got some friends that are just going to come privately over to you, give you a little information about that decision you made. Just raise your hand up. Awesome. Jesus, we're so grateful for who you are, that you have a perfect plan, that you walk with us. We delight in you. So Jesus, will you draw us to be worshipers of you? And God, we do. We reach out to reach with practical needs and love those who are suffering, those who are happy, those who are celebrating. And God, we're going to give gifts this year because you showed us how by giving yourself. It truly is better to give than receive. We love you in Jesus' name. And God's people said... Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.